We're going to read in God's Word this morning from the book of 1 Kings, chapter 19. 1 Kings, chapter 19. And we'll read the first 18 verses of the chapter. This is part of the account in Scripture of the life of Elijah. This is after the great victory on Mount Carmel with the fire from heaven on the sacrifice and the people proclaiming the Lord, He is the God, the Lord, He is the God. And then chapter 19 begins this way. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake bacon on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains, and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But... The Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, and the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, what doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu the son of Nimshai shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abel Meholah shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Haziel shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me seven thousand in Israel, 
all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. In the book of Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, I want to read just verses 25 through 28. Ephesians 5, verse 25 through 28. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. We read that far in God's holy and inspired word. This morning we are going to consider Lord's Day 21 in the Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer 54 on page 12 in the back of the Psalter. Page 12 in the back of the Psalter, question and answer 54. We're treating the Apostles' Creed. And here we confess that we believe an holy Catholic Church. Question 54. What believest thou concerning the holy Catholic Church of Christ? And the answer that the Son of God, from the beginning to the end of the world, gathers, defends, and preserves to himself by his Spirit and Word out of the whole human race a church chosen to everlasting life agreeing in true faith, and that I am and forever shall remain a living member thereof. Have you ever felt like giving up on the church? Something like Elijah. Maybe your work in the church became such a burden to you, it felt that you were carrying so much on your own, you weren't appreciated, and you looked around and you said, why? Why aren't the other members of the church pulling their weight? Well, maybe after a time of division and controversy in the church, you've looked around and you've thought to yourself as you come to church, there's not much joy in this. We sing, but there's not much joy in our worship. Or perhaps you've been hurt in the church by church leaders, a consistory, or maybe you've been hurt by other members in the church, and if we think about it, think about Elijah, the greatest hurt that a Christian who loves the church could bear is hurt in the church. Or perhaps when you come to church and you look at the other members and you've had so many incidents with them, you say, I'd rather not be with those people. It's too painful. Have you ever been inclined to give up 
on the church. Elijah was a man who loved the church of God in the Old Testament, Israel. He had a passion as a prophet for the people of God. He was a man who endured through three and a half years of famine when he couldn't be with and couldn't bring the word and the promise of God, but could only watch as God's judgment came on Israel in the famine. He was a man of courage who stood before the king and the people alone. He was a man of prayer for the church and the people of God. He was a man who was committed at the risk of his own life to the cause of the church. And all of his passion, endurance, courage, prayer, commitment, and love for the church comes to, it seems in his mind, nothing. One day, it looks like on Mount Carmel, all of Israel has turned back to God. Jehovah, He is the God. Jehovah, He is the God. And the next day, the authorities say, tomorrow, this time, you'll be dead. And he runs. And he's downcast. And he says to God, I want to quit. This is enough. Take away my life. He's discouraged. If you've ever felt that way about the church, the sermon this morning is for you to encourage you in the church to renew your love and commitment to the church. Jesus Christ loved the church and loves the church, and so should you. We're in the Apostles' Creed. We're in the third section of the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed is divided according to the persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We're in the section that deals with the Holy Spirit. We've looked at the Holy Spirit, and now we begin to look at the blessings of the Holy Spirit. And the first blessing of the Holy Spirit comes in the church. And we have only to think of the day of Pentecost to see that connection. The Spirit was poured out in the church. And so today we look at the church. And the main question before us this morning concerning the church, typical to the Heidelberg Catechism, is a personal question. What do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Church? And then notice how it ends, that I am and forever shall remain a living member thereof. We don't look at the church in the abstract. We don't come to the doctrine of the church just to learn some things about the church, to observe that there is a church, to look at some things that the Bible says about the church. But I am and forever shall remain a living member thereof. And so this morning, this is not only about what we believe concerning the church, but this is about my place as a believer in the church and my relationship as a believer to the church and that in light of Christ's relationship to the church. He loves the church. And so I also ought to love the church.
The question before us this morning is not just this, do you believe that there is a church, but this, as a believer, do you love the church of Jesus Christ? Do you love her people? Do you love her ordinances? Do you love her work? Do you love her gatherings? Do you love the unity of the church? Do you love the church universal? Do you love the church where God has put you into his body? Do you love the worship of the church as we come together as believers? So this morning, we'll look at uh, this theme, loving the bride of Christ, loving the bride of Christ. First, consider with me the difficult calling. Second, the supreme example. And then third, the absolute necessity, loving the bride of Christ. The supreme example, uh, sorry, the difficult calling, the supreme example, and the absolute necessity. When we come to the doctrine of the church in the Scripture, the Bible gives us a, a number of different metaphors to describe the church. The church in Ephesians chapter 2 is called a temple or a building. Each member of the church is a living stone in that building. In Matthew chapter 5, the church is a city that is set on a hill which cannot be hid. In John chapter 15, the church is a vine and branches, and the vine is Christ, and the branches are you and me who are planted into Christ through the work of regeneration. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the church is a body, a body made up of many members, and each of the members of the church are a part of that body, each serving in a different function and position with their unique gifts for the welfare of the entire body. But then another picture that's used in the church, used in scripture of the church, is that of a bride. The church is the bride, the wife of Jesus Christ. And you find this illustration throughout scripture. You can think of the Psalms, Psalm 45. You can think of the Song of Solomon, an entire book about the church as the bride of Christ. You can think of the prophets, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, which all speak of the church as a bride and Christ's relationship to the church. You can think of the beautiful descriptions in the book of Revelation of the church coming down from heaven as a bride adorned for her husband at the final wedding supper of the Lamb, the church and the, and the Lamb married. And then there are the verses that we read together here in Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. And this morning... I chose in the theme to describe the church this way, as the bride of Christ. For two reasons, because first of all, the church is beautiful, it's glorious, as a bride is, and that's how Christ sees her. And second, because this relationship between Christ and his church is described here as a marriage relationship and the love that Christ has for his church is set before us here this way, that he loved the church and gave himself for it. And this morning, 
You ought to see the church as glorious and beautiful, and you ought to love the church with the same love that Christ has for her. The Scripture very clearly and definitely sets before us our calling to love the church. And it does that not just in a general sense. We should love the universal body of Jesus Christ, but it does that in a very specific sense, that you ought to love the church where God has planted you, where He has connected you to the body of Jesus Christ. And so we can think of several psalms that point to this. We sang from Psalm 48, but listen to these words in Psalm 48, verses 12 and 13. Walk about Zion, go round about her, tell the towers thereof, mark ye her bulwarks, consider her palaces, that you may tell it to the generation following. Now that, of course, is speaking in the Old Testament of the fortress Jerusalem, and walking around Jerusalem and looking at her strength so that you can tell your children about her. But the spiritual application for us is to look at the church, look at her strength, look at her beauty. Tell that to your children so that they know the glory of the church like the strength and the beauty of Jerusalem on Mount Zion. Another psalm, Psalm 122, in verse 1, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And then again in verse 6, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, they shall prosper that love thee. Two things here about love for the church, love for the gatherings of the church. I was glad when they said, let's go to the house of the Lord. And love for the peace of the church. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And then a third psalm that we can see this in is Psalm 137, which we sang together. And this is a psalm written from captivity in Babylon. By Babel's streams we sat and wept. And as they sat and wept in Babylon, they were asked to sing one of the songs of Zion. And they said, how can we do that in this strange land? Because we're missing the privileges that we had before to worship God in Jerusalem and in His temple. And the psalmist makes a resolve there that if he forgets forgets those privileges, if he forgets Jerusalem, if he forgets the church, Lord, then... Cut out my tongue. Take off the skill of my right hand. I'd rather be dumb and maimed and have the church than be whole and forget her. Do you love the church? As that's expressed in these Psalms. In the New Testament, we see very specifically and clearly what it means to love the local church. And so in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, we're told to consider one another, to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching, loving to come together with the church. We love the church by gathering with the church in her regular worship, 
And then the New Testament also points to this, that we ought to love the people of the church. Jesus washes His disciples' feet. He says, I've set you an example. You should now wash one another's feet. And we find this theme all throughout the New Testament. In that same chapter, John 13, Jesus says, this, is, this will be your primary witness to the world. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul boasts concerning the church in Thessalonica, because of the love of every one of you all toward each other which abounds. And in 1 John 3, we learn that this love for brethren is a sign that we have passed from death unto life. Those who live in Christ love the brother or the sister in the church. And so Peter says we should love one another with a pure heart, fervently. We love the people of the church. And then as Psalm 122 put it, we love the peace of the church. We love the peace of the local church. Ephesians chapter 4, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And this is the beginning of the practical section of the book of Ephesians, which has to do with the doctrine of the church. And he begins it by saying, you should do this. You should strive to keep the unity of the church. And he goes on in that chapter to lay out how by warning against gossip and slander and criticism in the church and telling us to speak the truth in love and to have a speech which is good to the use of edifying, so to build up the body and to build up the other members of the church. So we love the church by loving her peace. And then we love the church also by investing in the work of the church sacrificially. Certainly that's how Christ loved the church. He gave himself for her. But now think of the great example in Scripture of the Apostle Paul. He worked tirelessly for the church. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10, I labored more abundantly than them all. He prayed night and day for the church. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 10, He cared for the church like a nursing mother, imparting to her not only the gospel, but his own soul. So that he says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 17, he was willing to be poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice of their faith and service. He gave himself entirely in his love for the church. Do you love the church? Do you love her worship? Do you love her people? Do you love her peace? Do you love her work? By investing yourself in the church. Realistically, this morning, realistically, we must acknowledge that it's difficult to love the church. It's difficult sometimes to love the church. And it's important that we be realistic about this because we must understand that the church is far from perfect. The church has her weaknesses. And it's important that we acknowledge this this morning as well so that we understand why it's hard for some people to love the church. It's difficult for some, some members here, to love the church. 
Why is it difficult to love the church? Let me give you at least five reasons. First of all, the grand descriptions of the church here in the Apostles' Creed and the Catechism don't always match our experience. So we confess in the Apostles' Creed, I believe, an holy Catholic church. One holy Catholic church. Those are the attributes of the church. She's one. She's holy. She's Catholic or universal. And those are explained for us in the Catechism here, that the Son of God from the beginning to the end of the world gathers from all the nations of the earth a church chosen. I believe one holy Catholic church. And yet very often when we look at the church in the place of unity, we find division and unrest. In the place of holiness, we observe hypocrisy. In the place of the church being a universal church, we find the church either to be very small or to be very narrow in her outlook. And so these glorious descriptions don't match our experience. Second, it can be difficult to love the church because the church is made up of sinners. And those sinners sometimes are just very difficult to get along with. And those sinners sometimes have hurt me as a believer. And those sinners bring into the church all the wicked acts that are on the news in our godless world. And we discourage because we see sin in the church. We're hurt by that sin. The third reason it's hard to love the church, the church makes mistakes. And sometimes those mistakes hurt the members. Perhaps we raise a concern and we're never heard or understood. We brushed aside. Maybe there's a conflict in the church in which we're involved and it's never resolved. The church makes mistakes. A fourth reason, a disappointment with church leaders, pastors, elders whom we esteem and hold highly, they let us down. Maybe even they turn on us. And certainly we can think of that in our recent history. There are congregations in our churches that are hurting because pastors whom they loved, they've now lost and they're damaged. Disappointment. And then a fifth reason, and that is sometimes it's hard to love the church because the church, though it has its weaknesses, won't acknowledge those weaknesses. Worse than living in a church with glaring weaknesses is living in a church which has a spirit of pride which won't see its own weaknesses. And now you can think of Revelation chapter 3. The church at Laodicea, which says, I'm rich, I'm full, I have need of nothing. 
but she didn't know that she was empty and poor and destitute. Or you can think of Israel and Judah in the Old Testament when the prophets would come to them and they blocked their ears. They didn't want to hear the word of the Lord. And so it can be hard to love the church. Now, I give those reasons, but if we look at the Scripture, we see that, in fact, this is the case with the church in the Scripture as well. And and perhaps this is helpful for us to love the church, to see that this is the way that the church is manifest also in the Word of God. There's a beautiful description of the church in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. It's called there the flock of God that he's purchased with his own blood. The church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. Beautiful description of the church. And Paul is telling the elders here in Ephesus, as he meets with them on the island of Miletus, that they must... Take heed to themselves and to the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made them overseers. And to remember as they care for the church that this is the church that's precious to Christ, that he's purchased it with his own blood. And yet he goes on in the very next verse to say this. This is why it's important for them to take heed to the flock. He says, I know that after my departing grievous wolves shall enter in among you, not sparing the flock, Also of your own selves shall men arise. This is going to come from within the church itself. And so we think of the church as as the flock of God. We think of the 23rd Psalm and the beautiful description there of the shepherd who gently leads. And then in the middle of it are the wolves who lead astray and devour Or we can turn to 1 Corinthians, the very first chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And if we look at each of the epistles that the Apostle Paul writes, you get these beautiful descriptions of of the church to which he writes, and his thanks to God for them, and his prayers to God for them. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, Unto the church of God, which is in Corinth, To them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. And then a little later on, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace that's given to you, that in everything you are enriched by him in all utterance and knowledge. What beautiful descriptions of the church at Corinth. Sanctified, called saints, holy ones. And he's thankful to God for the gifts that God has given in the church at Corinth. And you think as you read through the rest of this epistle to the church at Corinth, how could he say such a thing? What a, what a mess the church at Corinth was. The very things for which he's thankful, the gifts that God has given to them, the gift of utterance that he's given to them, is the great cause of division in the church at Corinth. And you read about Corinth and... And 
There's division over ministers. There's incest in the congregation. There's no discipline being exercised. They take each other to court. The Lord's Supper is defiled. There's a division between the rich and the poor. The judgment of God is on the church, and some in the church have died on account of that. They have serious doctrinal problems. They deny the resurrection. And I think if you and I lived in Corinth we'd probably say it's time to start a new church. And Paul says, sanctified in Christ, called holy ones, I thank God for you. Or we can look at this same, see this same contrast in the book of Revelation in the letters to the seven churches. There's a beautiful vision of Christ in Revelation chapter 1 standing among the golden candlesticks and it's Christ among and in the church giving life to the church and then think of all the warnings and the rebukes in these seven letters so that when Christ comes to the last church he says I know thy works that thou art neither cold nor hot I would thou work cold or hot, so then because thou art lukewarm, neither cold or hot, I will spew thee out of thy mouth. And this was the church that said, I'm rich, increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knew not that she was wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Why is it hard? To love the church. Because our experience doesn't match the grand descriptions of her. How do I love the church when that's my experience? Two things. First, I realize that what often makes it difficult for me to love the church is my own selfishness and my own pride. In my selfishness, I say something like this, I don't get from the church what I want. And so I'm thinking of my place in the church not as a place of giving, but a place of receiving. That's selfish. And in pride, I will start to place myself above the church. And I'm, as it were, falling over myself in my pride. The real obstacle to loving the church is my own despising, my own criticism, my own ingratitude for the church. And that brings us to the second thing. How do I love the church? I love the church by looking to Christ. He is the supreme example of love for the church. The Heidelberg Catechism and the Apostles' Creed, when they come to the doctrine of the church, make that clear. We have to look at Christ 
In the Apostles' Creed, we confess this, I believe in holy Catholic Church. Not I believe in the church, but I believe a church. I believe the reality of the church. The church itself is never to be the obstet, obstet, obst, the church itself is never to be the object of my faith. I believe in Christ. And as I believe in Christ, I see the church in relation to Him. That's what this whole answer is about. What do you believe concerning the church? And it begins this way, that the Son of God, that Christ, Christ is doing something. And I look at Him, and I believe on Him, and I see that He has a relationship to the church. And I believe that He, from the beginning to the end of the world, is gathering, is defending, and is preserving a church to himself by his spirit and word, which is gathered out of the whole human race, and which is chosen to everlasting life, and which agrees in true faith. It's as I look at Christ that I can say these things about the church. And too often, our problem with the church is this, that our own identity is tied up in the church rather than in Christ. I think of myself as Protestant Reformed rather than Christian. And then I see things going wrong in my identity as Protestant Reformed. And I forget that my identity is in Jesus Christ. The church may let you down but Christ never will. Wasn't that what Elijah had to learn? In his despair, take away my life. I'm the only one left. And what does God say? And Jesus refers back to this event two different times in his ministry. What does God say? Elijah, I have chosen the church. 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. You're not the only one. Believe it. And Elijah, I'm gathering the church. You might have thought that that event on Mount Carmel was spectacular and that it's something like a, a massive crusade would gather the people. But Elijah, I don't work by fire and wind and storm. But I'm gathering the church by a still, small voice. So what we see what we experience isn't to be the object of our faith. Christ and His church. Christ is gathering His church. As we think about this this morning, Christ and the church, I want us to turn to that passage in Ephesians chapter 5 because we have there the supreme example of love for the church. May be difficult for us to love the church. But now I want you to see here in Ephesians chapter 5 at least five things about Christ and his love for the church. The first is this that we should see the church as Christ sees the church. How does he see her? He sees her as his bride. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved 
the church. Verse 27, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not only spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. And then you think of Revelation 21 and the description of the church coming down from heaven as a bride adorned for her husband. How do you see the church? How does Christ see the church? It's like a wedding day, isn't it? And we're all sitting. And the groomsmen and the bridesmaids are all at the front of the sanctuary. The music stops. And now it's time for the wedding march. And we all stand and we turn to look at the bride. And the groom has tears in his eyes because here comes the bride. That's how Christ thinks of the church. That's how you and I should think of the church. A bride adorned for her husband, in spite of her failings and her wanderings. This is how Christ loves the church. You can go back to Ezekiel, Hosea, and Isaiah to see this. He doesn't give up on loving the church, even when she fails him, even when she commits whoredoms. Despite her imperfections, she is the bride of Christ. And often with our criticisms, we fail to see the strength and the beauty of the church. Walk about Zion, go round about her, tell the towers thereof, consider her bulwarks, and then talk about it to your children. We must see the church as Christ sees her. Then second, we see here in Ephesians chapter 5 that God, that Christ loves an imperfect church with a view to her perfection, with a view to her sanctification. He doesn't overlook the sins and the failings of his bride. But he loves her all the same, and he loves her with the purpose of her sanctification. So, Verse 25 and 26 says, Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Verse 26, that he might, so that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. He loves the church, though imperfect, in order to sanctify her. And if you look through the scriptures, this is what you see. He's exposing the weaknesses of the church. Think of the seven letters to the seven churches of Asia Minor. He's pointing out, he's rebuking, he's calling her to repent, to return to her first love. Because he loves the church with a view to her change and her sanctification. So we don't blindly love the church. Sometimes the church needs members who see the weaknesses and will address them in love. We can love the weaknesses, and we can love the church with her weaknesses by, as active members, working to change those things. Recently I had a conversation with a good friend about the church 
He's from another denomination, but we talk with one another comparatively about our churches. And he also is in a conservative, reformed denomination, and some of the weaknesses that he experiences are the weaknesses that I experience. And so we were talking about evangelism and reaching the lost in a community. And I said something like this, that we're too inward focused. And he helped. This is what a friend does. He said to me, well, you can change that by being a member in the church who reaches the lost. In other words, don't just criticize. But as a member, do something different with a different perspective. Love the church with a view to her sanctification. Christ loves the church that way. Third, here at Ephesians chapter 5, and now especially in verse 25, we see the kind of love that Christ has for his church. It's a love of commitment, and it's a love that's sacrificial. Those two things there are right there in verse 25. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. As Christ also loved the church. The word for love there is the Greek word agape. What's agape love? Well, this, this is the kind of love it is. It's an emphasis not on emotion, not even on relationship, but it's an emphasis on the will, the choice to love. And that means that we choose to love, we determine to love, even when the desire to love is not there. Love is not about feeling, but love is a choice of the will. A commitment despite how I feel. That's true love. Husbands, love your wives that way. You might not feel like it, but remain committed. That's agape love. And then agape love is also this, and it's described in the last phrase here. He loved her and gave himself for her. Sacrificial love. Love that does something, love that acts, and love that acts even at a cost to self. That's what Christ did. We know what his giving himself for her meant for him. It meant his going to the cross. It meant his laying down his life. It meant a cost, a cost. And that's how we're called to love the church, with commitment and sacrifice when we don't feel like it when it costs us something put away selfishness and pride when it comes to the church ask not what can the church do for me but what can I do for the body then fourth here in Ephesians chapter 5, we see that the church belongs to Christ. That's part of the relationship of a husband and a wife. She belongs to him, and he is jealous for her. 
don't talk about my bride that way. That's my wife you're talking about. Here is what's brought up in the catechism. Chosen. She's chosen. That's why she belongs to Christ. She's given to Christ. The whole elect number is committed to the care of Jesus Christ as He comes into the world. She's purchased by Christ with His own blood. She's precious to Him. He is her Lord. She is owned by Him. And He is jealous over her. And this helps us as we think about criticism and speaking evil of the church. We need to be thankful. We need to be thankful for the church. I mentioned earlier the prayers in the epistles of Paul, and it's surprising and amazing what Paul says in those prayers concerning the different churches. I don't think there's a greater example in all of Scripture, aside from Christ, of someone who loved the church at a cost to himself. Think of when Paul was first converted. He came to Jerusalem and he wasn't accepted there. They were suspicious of him. Think of Paul after he becomes an apostle and missionary and preaches and establishes churches in different places and his authority is questioned, his authority as apostle. Think of the way that the church judged the motives of Paul as carnal. So Paul had to be very careful when he worked in different places not to become a physical burden to the churches, not to collect a wage from them. Paul was viewed as weak as he was compared to other preachers, Peter and Apollos. And Paul in his final days sat alone in prison. No one was with me, he says, at my defense. And yet as you read the different letters that Paul wrote from prison where he was paying the price for his love for the church, there's this repeated refrain, I'm constantly praying for you and I'm always praying for you with thanksgiving. These are the churches that hurt him, that wouldn't receive him that despised him, that questioned his authority, that didn't come to him or help him when he was imprisoned. And he says, I'm always praying for you with thanksgiving. The church belongs to Christ. Be thankful for her. And then the fifth thing that we see here in Ephesians chapter 5 is this that Christ loves me as a member of the church. When we read that Christ loves the church, we read that Christ loves me. And that's really the possibility of the church being loved by us. Why is it hard to love the church? Well, it's because the membership of the church reflects also who I am as a sinner. That's me. Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. He loved me. He gave himself for me. 
He forgives my sins. He's working sanctification in me by the Holy Spirit. And that helps me to love the other members of the church. We see them as loved in Christ. We see them in Christ. We see them as members of Christ. We, we learn to see the glory and the beauty of Christ shining through them. Where does envy, hatred, friction, division come between members in the church? It comes from our failure to see one another in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, as members of Christ, united to Him. Ephesians chapter 4 says that we should love one another and speak well of one another, for we are members one of another. And that's, why, that's how we must see ourselves. Christ loves me, a sinner. And so I should love the body of sinners. That is Christ's church. Now I show my love for the church in a real and tangible way by loving the local church, by my membership in the local church. And that's the personal confession in the Lord's Day here, that I am and forever shall remain a living member thereof. That's not saying here, the local church doesn't matter. I am a member of the universal church. Sometimes that's the attitude and the response that we'll encounter among Christians or those who call themselves Christians. They're disenchanted. Maybe they've been hurt by the church. And so they say something like this, I don't want anything to do with the church. I don't need other Christians. It's just me and Jesus. That's not what it's saying. I'm a living member thereof, a living member thereof. And now you think of the vine and the branches. A member who is alive is planted into Christ and participates in the life of the body, receives and contributes to the life of the church. And that's the beautiful picture in 1 Corinthians 12. And the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, concerning the church as a body. So my love for the church is expressed in my personal involvement in the church. I contribute to, I participate in the life of the church. I show up for church when she gathers for worship. I'm interested in the work that the church is involved in. I want to know the other members of the body and their needs. I'm willing to serve others in the, bo in the body, to, to think about them, to pray for them, to know what their needs are. I'm willing to use my gifts in any capacity that I'm asked to in the church. I'm not in the church for me, but for the body. And this is the beautiful truth that we'll look at next time, the communion of the saints. A living member thereof. So personal commitment and participation in the local church. And that's essential because Christ has given to the church the saving means, the means of grace, the preaching of the gospel, and the sacraments. Christ is present in the church where those things are properly administered. 
and for my spiritual life, for my salvation, for my continued sanctification, I need to hear and be fed by the preaching of the gospel. And if we want to talk about the church, really this is the most important thing that the church ever does. The most important thing that the church ever does is that we come together in worship around the Word of God and in that God meets to us. He speaks to our souls. He unites us together in the truth. He keeps us as a spiritual organization. He unites us in one faith. He, he keeps us onward, bound for our spiritual and eternal home. And that's what Christ is doing as He loves the church. Here in Ephesians chapter 5, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it by the washing of water with the word. Christ is loving the church with the word. And he's gathering the church. So don't ever lose sight of the most important thing that happens in the church when we gather together around the word of God. Amen. Father, we're thankful for the church of Christ, for his love for the church, for the blessings that come to us through the church, and for this body of believers and our place in the church here. Help us, Father, to use willingly our gifts to serve the body. We pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen.